and welcome to the Beyond Biotech podcast number 41. I'm Jim Cornell from the Biotech and it's another one of those short weeks that means you have to cram the work into four days instead of five. But it was nice to have a few days break and of course that's also the reason why last Friday there was no podcast. Because when a lot of people are having a public holiday, the potential audience goes down. And because I wasn't here, I couldn't record it either. I was out walking because we had several days without rain. Of course, everyone else had the same idea, so some of the trails were quite busy, and it was mostly English people heading north to Scotland for the two-week-long school holiday. We encountered one family that was hopelessly lost in the woods without a proper map, and I met one person in a Pittsburgh pirate's hat, expecting to be able to have a discussion about baseball. But he didn't even know it was the pirate's logo, he just bought it online because P is the first letter of his name. Which is fair enough, I guess. A little shorter podcast this week because it's another themed episode and it's on the condition of sarcoidosis. Because yesterday was World Sarcoidosis Day. And I'm not really that bothered that we're a day late because it's also Sarcoidosis Awareness Month. If you don't know what it is, you're not alone and all will be revealed in the interview which is with Marcin Shumovsky, CEO and President of the Management Board of Molecure. And so now it's time for the news you may have missed over at lebiotech.eu. And with the holidays, of course, it was a short week, so not quite as many articles, but definitely quality over quantity. We had an article on how to overcome clinical trial challenges. Intracellular drug delivery startup Vitarka Therapeutics raised £1.27 million. And a new company, Kalida Therapeutics, has been launched to tackle thromboinflammatory disorders. We had an article on whether a vaccine for Parkinson's disease is possible. Psychogenics launched its eCube AI platform for drug discovery, and a new technique has been developed for safer gene editing. There was an article on six new vaccines being developed for difficult-to-treat diseases. Adaptive Bio has been launched to change protein engineering, and Aspect and Novo Nordisk are working on bioprinted tissue for diabetes and obesity. A Parkinson's cure is inevitable after a biomarker breakthrough, says the Michael J. Fox Foundation. We had a story on five recent advancements in Parkinson's disease research. Biomodal launched a new multiomics sequencing technology, and it was 20 years ago today. Not that Sergeant Pepper taught the band to play, but since the completion of the first human genome sequence, which was mapped out on April the 14th, 2003. We also had an article on researchers explaining how some lung tumours avoid immunotherapy, and you can read all of these, and lots more, at lebiotech.eu. And so it's on to this week's theme and interview. Of course, there are many conditions with awareness days and months in April, and next month, May, is the biggest month of all of them, and it's impossible to cover every one. And while there are lots of high-profile conditions and diseases, it's good to give a little publicity to some lesser-known ones. And one of those is sarcoidosis. I won't go into too much detail because our guest this week is more than capable of doing that. But in brief, it's an inflammatory disease where granulomas or small clumps of inflammatory cells form in one or more of the organs of the body. 
When too many of these clumps form, they can interfere with an organ structure and its function, and when left unchecked, chronic inflammation can lead to fibrosis or permanent scarring of organ tissue. Sarcoidosis generally affects the lungs in about 90% of cases, but it can affect almost any organ in the body. And despite advances in research, sarcoidosis is difficult to diagnose and has limited treatment options, and there's no known cure. In the US, there are between 150,000 and 200,000 people with the condition, with around 1.2 million worldwide. Speaking of advances in research, one company tackling sarcoidosis is Molecure. So let's move to the interview with Marcin Shumovsky, CEO and President of the Management Board of Molecure. Molecure isn't just working on sarcoidosis, it's working on a lot of other things, but because it's World Sarcoidosis Day, my first question was, could you tell me a little bit about sarcoidosis? So sarcoidosis is a rare disease that causes inflammation in different parts of the body. It's most commonly found in lungs, but it can affect other organs such as skin or eyes or heart. And in some cases, it's progressive and debilitating. And the cause of sarcoidosis is really unknown, but it's believed to be related to uh, an abnormal immune response. And in severe cases, sarcoidosis can lead to uh, chronic respiratory failure, both in the lungs and also in the heart. And it can lead to other complications, including uh, lung fibrosis, which develops in about 8% of the cases and and can be terminal. And even if it's not life-threatening, sarcoidosis is a disease that can uh, have significant impact on um, the physical appearance of the sick people. Um, and also on on the social interactions as a consequence. So it creates sort of a social stigma. And there's also not a very high level of awareness of sarcoidosis as a disease and can lead lead to, that can lead to many misunderstandings and misconceptions. And sort of it often leads to social isolation or discrimination of the people, even if it's not very serious or terminal. I must admit that when I was looking through all of the different awareness days and found World Sarcoidosis Day, it took me by surprise a little because I had to look up what it was. Is that a problem that people really aren't aware of what sarcoidosis is? Yeah, and it was even called Dr. House disease as a nickname because it's a very challenging disease to diagnose as its symptoms can mimic uh, many other illnesses and conditions. And there is not a single test or, or like a diagnosis that can definitely diagnose what we're seeing as sarcoidosis. So it's generally diagnosed by exclusion. That's a reference to, to Dr. House. It's, uh, it's extremely challenging and therefore it's frequently undiagnosed. So it's an orphan disease or, or a rare disease that it's estimated it affects about 300 patients worldwide, but we also think it's highly undiagnosed for the reasons that I just described. Uh, What are the current treatments for it? So the treatments really depend on the severity of the disease. And in many cases, roughly 40 to 50 percent, sarcoidosis can be self-resolving. So basically, the, the immune system corrects itself and it regresses on its own. That class of patients is sort of categorized as wait-and-see patients. So you sometimes can give them some time. If you don't see 
progression, it can be self-resolving. But in majority of the cases, treatment is necessary. And there are several approaches. None of them work really well. So the first one is corticosteroids, mostly as a drug that reduces inflammation and suppresses the immune system. This is the primary first-line treatment, but it has significant side effects and it's not always effective, or in many cases, it isn't effective. Second approach is immunosuppressive drugs. So they're basically uh, working through suppression of the immune response and reducing inflammation. And sometimes they're used in combination with corticosteroids. Also, in some cases, anti-malaria drugs have been employed they're mostly used in treatment of skin and other symptoms of sarcoidosis. And the last comer are TNF-alpha inhibitors. So these drugs target a specific protein involved in inflammation, and they're being used to treat sarcoidosis as of recently, but they're also only moderately effective, and in many cases, they're not. Uh, and this is an antibody treatment, so it's, so it's also quite expensive. So this is what's on the market, and in a lot of cases, there are also repurposed drugs, so drugs that have been developed for a different disease, like even oncology, and there is an attempt to apply them to, uh, to treating sarcoidosis. In terms of recognition and awareness, are there any sort of organizations or charities dealing with this disease? Yes, certainly. So there, there are several organizations worldwide that are dedicated to raising the awareness about sarcoidosis generally and supporting patients and their families that are affected by the disease. So in the United States, one of the organizations that we actually closely collaborate with uh, at present is Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. There is also Sarcoidosis Association. Both are not-for-profit organizations. Both are based in the U.S. There's also WASOG, which stands for World Association of Sarcoidosis and Other Granulomatous Disorders, because like sarcoidosis uh, develops these clusters of immune cells that are called granulomas, and this is actually what modifies the tissue and limits the respiratory function of the lung. So WASOG is an international organization that brings together healthcare providers, researchers, and patients to advance the understanding and the treatment options for sarcoidosis and other granulomatous diseases that are out there. As far as companies trying to tackle this, is it a big field of companies or not many? Not really, not really, because the, the disease was so difficult to diagnose. The mechanisms of, of disease etiology are also not very elucidated. So not, not that many companies have attempted to really develop drugs that are targeting sarcoidosis specifically. Unlike, for instance, in pulmonary fibrosis or IPF specifically, where there is lots and lots of clinical trials ongoing currently. And that's also a very challenging Lyme disease. But the interest of companies is much higher in that space. So those companies that are working on sarcoidosis currently, other than Molecure, obviously, is ATIRE, which is one of the more advanced in clinical development. They're planning to start a phase three trial. There's also Kinevan and uh, Morphosis that's working in collaboration. It's a, it's a European biotech working in collaboration with Novartis. But those are just the few companies that have really attempted to develop ther therapies that target 
specifically this disease rather than trying to adjust or repurpose drugs from other illnesses. But developing effective treatments for sarcoidosis can be very challenging because of the lack of understanding of their underlying mechanisms of the disease. So we believe that our approach can be disease modifying for a number of reasons, but unquestionably there is a big need for continued research and development efforts by multiple partners to try to really find the cure and the, and the disease modifying treatment that the patients are waiting for. Could you tell me about your company and your OATD01? Yes, that was our first clinical candidate that does the the zero one uh, attached to it. And we also used to be called Oncarendi Therapeutics, that's OATs, which stand for the molecules that we were developing. And we've actually stuck to OAT, but changed the name to Molecule as we became a uh, clinical stage biotech company coming closer to patients and starting to actually dose our drugs to patients. We thought the cure was an important component of the name. And we're also focused on uh, exclusively on small molecules. So it was a nice connection of uh, molecules and curing people and, and molecule. Honkarendi uh, became more molecule last year in March, actually. So we focus on developing first-in-class therapies, potentially disease-modifying in oncology, and the number of diseases where chronic inflammation leads to tissue remodeling. So sarcoidosis is one of them, but there's also pulmonary fibrosis diseases. There are also diseases of the liver, like NASH, or the gut, like Crohn's disease, and all have this common denominator of chronic inflammation driving different pathological changes for the tissue that limits the organ functioning. So those are these areas that we address, but we address them through really picking out novel, uh, unexplored targets among the proteins, but also as of recently among mRNA targets. So rather than targeting proteins and modifying their enzymatic activity or function, we're trying to target upstream and modify the function of mRNA to prevent the translation of these pathological proteins downstream. So it's this sort of peak translational modification of RNA that we're involved in. But the common denominator is, you know, looking for cures for diseases that are currently represent unmet medical needs, including rare diseases like sarcoidosis, using the small molecules and in the end helping patients. As far as D01, as I mentioned, this was our first molecule that had reached clinical development. It's a first-in-class molecule with disease-modifying potential in a number of diseases. It's formulated as an oral once-a-day pill, and we call it a macrophage modifier because it works through modifying the function of macrophage and preventing crosstalk with fibroblasts that often lead to uh, fibrosis of different tissues. And through preventing the pathological polarization of macrophages, we're preventing development of different processes of tissue remodeling, like in case of sarcoidosis or lung sarcoidosis, it's formation of these granulomatous. So one of the KOLs that we work with called, called our drug the granuloma buster. 
as from the Ghostbusters, I guess. <laughs> it's an inhibitor of kite one which is an enzyme that is involved in this polarization process of macrophages. And this same enzyme is shown to be very highly overexpressed in the lung tissue and in the bodily fluid of sarcoidosis patients. So much so that it's used as a clinically used as a biomarker of disease progression. And that's why we think it has relevant translational application from the animal models that we tested it in. So it has a novel mechanism of action. It's targeting both inflammation and fibrosis, and we believe that it can be disease-modifying as the treatment for sarcoidosis. You mentioned that it was a one-a-day pill that people take. Does that cure the condition, or does it just manage it so that it doesn't, like, you have to keep taking it? No, we hope that through blocking this key enzyme in this pathological cycle, it can be disease-modifying, so it can reverse uh, the progression of sarcoidosis and actually cure. We think that through the action of this year one, we can prevent the progression of the disease so that fibrosis develops. And, and when fibrosis develops, these, these changes may be irreversible, and there is no treatment yet developed in the world that has shown to effectively regress the fibrosis or cure fibrosis itself. But we think in sarcoidosis, if we apply that treatment early, it can stop the progression and therefore lead to the reversal of the symptoms. And where are you at currently with trials? So currently we're uh, preparing for phase two and we're in the final stages of Uh, interactions with FDA. We're going to start the trial in the United States and then move to Europe. So it's going to be a global trial. We hope to have the final approval by June. We're currently in the so-called pre-IND meeting and hoping to receive feedback from FDA any day now. If uh, there are no concerns, then we believe we can have the permission granted by June and we can those the first patients sometime in the summer of this year. And then we're planning to uh, dose approximately 90 patients in about 30 different sites, some in the US, some in Europe. And this trial is going to go on for about uh, two years. The final results, the final report would be available in, in early 2025. And you said you were working on other conditions as well? So this enzyme type 1 is, is interesting, and we've shown actually that B01 has worked in multiple disease models, starting with sarcoidosis, but also in pulmonary fibrosis models, and it worked equivalent or better than the currently uh, registered therapies like OFF or ESRIET from Rosh and Berenger. We've shown its uh, effectiveness both on the gene expression level and on the reversing or or the progression of the disease in NASH models. So it's then non-alcoholic hepatitis and it affects the liver. So we believe that if we show clinical proof of concept in sarcoidosis patients, this can open up the application of this treatment to other diseases that have this common denominator of chronic inflammation driving tissue remodeling. So we're really excited and anticipating the results. We also have very innovative endpoints in this study, which include uh, PET and CT scans of the lungs. And we believe that we can discriminate the baseline 
state of the lung of patients with sarcoidosis with what happens three months after our drug has been taken once a day. And we hope to see the regression like we did in animal models in patients with lung sarcoidosis. You think that the future looks better for those that are suffering from this condition? We hope so. I mean, there are a few therapies that I mentioned, you know, developed by us and and by other companies that really offer a different approach, a new molecular mechanism that can hopefully change and modify the disease. And so I think there is quite a bit of hope. I think it also depends on the group of patients that you're addressing. So the mild sarcoidosis is more easily contained and treated, but for individuals with sarcoidosis that affects more than one organ, the prognosis can be much, much worse, and uh, it's more difficult to choose the appropriate treatment. We sort of believe that our treatment could be organ independent. We were targeting lung sarcoidosis because it's most common and also one of the most serious diseases, but I think we can also be effective in in sarcoidosis of other organs. So yes, I think there's more and more things that are going on. There should be more, uh, I think, but even the three or four companies that are trying to do something different is an important step towards uh, addressing the, the needs of sarcoidosis patients. Is funding an issue with something like sarcoidosis when you compare it to all the money flowing into cancer and heart disease, that kind of thing? I think so. It's rare. So obviously the market is not as big for the large pharma companies. Also, it's the disease is not very well characterized. So there is a higher risk of the therapies not being very effective. So I think this tends to... Uh, leave it as a, as a sort of second choice rather than the common large market diseases like, like oncology, obviously different cancers, but, but also NASH where there's still no therapy, but the market is more than 30 million uh, people worldwide affected, whereas sarcoidosis is smaller. But based on the, you know, sort of pricing sensitivity studies that we've done and some of the other companies, the market is actually very similar in size to what has become of, of lung fibrosis, where originally there was no market because there was no effective therapies. And now the market is on the order of uh, two or three billion and it's growing quite fast. So I think sarcoidosis will hopefully have a similar path and the interest will become higher and higher among more companies to bring these treatments to patients. And as it's World Psychodosis Awareness Day, do you think that Awareness Days were a useful tool? I think so, because I think one of the problems uh, is the low awareness of the disease itself and, and its complexity not only leads to misdiagnosis or difficult diagnosis, but also leads to patients not being aware of what's happening to them and also where they can find help or advice or treatment. So I think it's an opportunity to support and connect, you know, with the sarcoidosis community, including all the stakeholders, patients, families, caregivers, and healthcare providers. And because it's a rare disease, like you mentioned, it receives much less attention. So I think days like these and awareness events are extremely important uh, because the disease does have a very significant impact on families, on the individuals, obviously, that are suffering from this disease. 
and we have a lot to learn about the disease as well. So this is another aspect, the education, more research, more research funding in this space as well from not only from pharma companies, but also from, you know, public organizations. So we're actually applying for, you know, additional funding to NIH and to uh, agencies in Europe to help us run this trial because the disease doesn't receive enough attention from various stakeholders in the process. And that's it for another podcast. I hope you learned something, and I hope that what you learned wasn't to fast-forward through me talking. Although I guess really we don't fast-forward anymore. The podcast isn't available on 8-track. Well, not yet, anyway. It's a five-day week next week. Not sure how we will all cope, but it's already shaping up to be busy with lots of interviews in store. I have a couple of options for next week's podcast theme, so I'll leave you in the dark. And that's not because I don't want to tell you, it's because I don't know either yet. And so, on that note, thanks a lot for joining us, and I hope wherever in the world you are, you have a great week ahead. Take care, and join us next week for another Beyond Biotech.